Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus, a special mid-off-season edition. I'm Blake Murphy. I am joined by Ben Nicholson-Smith. We are doing this on Tuesday afternoon. So we've had a couple days to sit with the news that Shohei Otani would be a Los Angeles Dodger and not a Toronto Blue Jay. We've also had a couple of days to refresh ourselves on, you know, how to do time value of money calculations that we did in business school and figure out what the present value of a 10 year, $700 million contract with 97% of it deferred uh, is Ben, how you doing, man? Good. Yeah. Good. Nothing gets me going like uh, talking salary deferrals. So yes. uh, this I love is, accounting. This is great. I love I actually do love math and spreadsheets, but in this case, um, I don't like having to have committed like 75 hours just to Shohei being a Dodger. Now I would have liked to have turned the page emotionally by now. Yeah. It hasn't happened. I think for most Jays fans and I think understandably so it's kind of, it's been a ride, right? Like everyone has been on this thing together for the last really a couple weeks now. And um, I guess the dust is settling by the time you start doing those present value of money calculations. That's probably a sign that we're shifting, you know, not fully out, but transitioning from the, the emotional peaks and valleys that was this weekend uh, into the new reality of Shohei just being a Dodger. It's uh yeah, fun time for, for the Dodger. I think another reason that it's been tough for blue Jays fans to turn the page is that uh, the presumed Plan B would have been perhaps a trade for Juan Soto. He had already been traded by the time the Shohei thing was settled. So now you're looking at what feels like a plan C, but with a gap after Shohei and Soto in terms of the quality any one individual could bring in. Now, Ben, you and I at the start of the offseason did an at the letters episode where we didn't even consider the possibility that the Blue Jays were really in the mix for Otani. So we set up the offseason in a way that not a lot has really changed. So we're going to revisit some of those things, look at some of the available free agents, look at some potential trade targets, maybe some predatory things the Jays could do with with all of these teams struggling with regional sports networks going into flux and those revenues being in question. Um, before we do, do you have any more reporting or, or have you been able to put together, you know, maybe how close the Blue Jays were? Um, it, it has sounded like from Shohei's camp that this deferral part of things was going to be the case with any team as a means of, hey, keeping the CBT, the, the competitive balance tax in a place where the team can be competitive and Shohei makes so much money on endorsements year to year that, um, you know, the, the near term cash flow is not an issue. Um, but have you gotten a sense at all of just how close this was for the Jays? Yeah. I mean, my impression throughout the last couple of weeks has, has really steadily been, well, there was one day obviously where I thought the Jays were actually <laughs> the front runners. So, uh, you know, Friday, I think we all probably believe that, um, understandably, cause there was reporting to that effect. Um, that um, that he was going to be a Blue Jay. But for the for most of this period of time, I've thought the Jays had a legit shot. I've thought the Dodgers were the front runners. That's certainly what people in the industry were saying um, in the conversations that I was having was that the Jays were in it, but that the Dodgers were the number one and that they were a behemoth to really be reckoned with here. And yeah, the Dodgers got them. So none of that has really shifted in the aftermath. I guess I, I did get um, some... Uh, perspective on this that that told me and, and I was able to report to others that uh, the Blue Jays were right there financially with the Dodgers offer and again presumably that would have uh, included a lot of deferrals um, but it would have been a really really big number that the Blue Jays were willing to throw at Shohei Otani and make him a Toronto Blue Jay ideally so my read is that the Jays were a second choice now people can look at that and say they were used he was never going to go to the Jays welcome to every free agent right ever at the same time, I look at it and I say, all right, like you were the second choice. You don't get anything for that. There's no prize for that. Your team is still in need of massive, massive reinforcements here. But I really do believe they were the second choice for whatever that's worth. I, I, that's my impression. And look, there are a couple things that flow from that. Um, you know, maybe the the money you were going to spend on Shohei Otani is not the same as you'd spend elsewhere on a number of players spread around because the revenue potential isn't the same as it is with Shohei Otani. But they obviously have an incentive to be competitive, both because, you know, this is a window they have right now where, where they have a pretty solid foundation, but also as we've talked about, there are more renovations coming to Rogers center. They have dumped $300 million into that. Um, you know, ticket prices are, are up for season ticket holders. And there are a lot of premium suites that they're asking for pretty big commitments from people for. So um, obviously you want to be good as a baseball team because you want to be good. And, and that's why you own them. And, and, you know, the playoff revenue is great and playoff TV, et cetera. Uh, but also like this year of any year, it feels like they do need to do something here. Um, 
closing the book on the Shohei thing, I have two f- quick questions for you. When you look at, you know, if, if the Blue Jays came second, you know, they controlled a lot of what they can control. They controlled the Rogers Center renovations that are going to make the player facilities top of the line. The Dunedin complex is said to be top of line. I haven't been down there since the renovations. I'm sure you have, and it's probably great. Um, they can't control playing in Toronto and how much players value or don't value that. They can't control what time zone they play in for the Japanese market. But I do wonder if the one thing that they are in control of that made up the gap between them and the Dodgers here, other than obviously market, is that Shohei could look at the Dodgers and see 11 consecutive playoffs. Yes, only one World Series, but a really, really stable run of sustained success where they've also managed to keep some payroll flexibility heading into this offseason. They've also been able to maintain a pretty strong farm system that they can pull from if they need to make trades to supplement, et cetera. Um, You know, should the takeaway for Atkins and Shapiro here be, yes, your pitch and the business environment and the overall, you know, organizational environment is there to get you in these conversations and make you a finalist. But one thing that you have to do better is make sure a top player knows he's coming to a World Series environment. Absolutely. And I think that's where the Dodgers are the best in baseball and the Blue Jays. They're not quite there, right? Like this is a team that I don't have to tell Blue Jays fans. I mean, it's been a series of kind of close, but ultimately disappointing endings to the whole season. You look back at the last four years, all of a sudden, it's like the best ending was getting swept at the trop out of the last four years. That was the best 27 hour playoff series or whatever (laughs) it was. Um, And then, yeah, you go down the list. Like it's, it's been a rough go for this team. They haven't won a playoff game in seven years. Everyone knows that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, to me, I I don't necessarily think a lot of people are faulting Shohei Otani for this, but I, I, that's like the furthest thing that I could get to when I think about him making this decision for himself. Dodgers are a great choice. He never made the Jays any promises like good for him. He's, he's uh, ended up in a good spot. Um, It's unbelievable how they've transitioned from a team that had Josh Beckett and Carl Crawford and Andre Ethier to this current version of the Dodgers and just never missed the playoffs. Like that's incredible uh, front office uh, decision-making that they've, they've had in the course. And that's multiple front offices dating back before Andrew Friedman, but they've done an amazing job understand why Shohei Otani would want to choose them. And it does also underscore that the Jays do have work to do if they want to be on that level with teams like the Dodgers. And look, that that is a front office that, you know, Andrew Friedman has roots in lesser income organizations and, and how they've been able to maintain a strong farm system and the ability to kind of constantly pivot to the next wave of guys is something that the Jays can replicate. Maybe they won't have the outright spending power of the Dodgers and Yankees and Red Sox. Although really given who owns them, there's not a reason that they, they couldn't be at those levels. And like you said, in your reporting, they were right there financially for Shohei. Um, But yeah, you can, you can funnel those resources into making sure your environment is more sustainably competitive. So, so that guys will want to come here maybe we're doing this again with Juan Soto next year and uh, how the ALE stacks up this year uh, could be relevant. Um, Last thing on Shohei, I promise the deferrals. I had a lot of people ask me, well, is this something the blue Jays could, I mean, the term some people use is exploit, but this is allowable in the CBT. This, this is just there for you Um, with respect to something like a Boba Shedder or Vladimir Guerrero jr. Extension. My read on it is, I mean, it's available, but probably not because those guys aren't making 40 to 50 million a year in sponsorship revenue like Shohei Otani is. Would that be your read on it as well? Yeah, I just think broadly across the industry, I I personally, and we'll see how this unfolds, I personally, based on the conversations that I've had with agents in the last, I guess, 24 hours since this news came out, I don't see this becoming the norm. Because I mean, it's been in the CBA and allowable since like 1997 or something like that. Right. Or maybe not. I guess 95 would make more sense coming out of the lockout. And I think, you know, of course, owners probably don't like this, probably makes them a little bit uneasy. Um, It's a potential loophole for players. But what player has that really kind of perfect set of circumstances where they have enough money from other sources that they're not worried about their income. They're, they can afford to defer it. They're uber competitive in the way that Shohei Otani is, and they really are motivated to put their team in a good position. And the agent involved is going to be uh, supportive of that. Cause keep in mind too, this means that the agent's commission is paid out hmm. in a much slower pace, right? Like it's not like 
Nezbolello is going to be making a commission off $70 million next year. His client is earning $2 million. So <laughs> I just don't see this being something that really takes off. Um, if I'm wrong, then it will be a, a sticking point in the next CBA. As it stands now, I think it's something that comes up. But ultimately, this isn't this isn't some sort of big precedent setter because Shohei Otani is just so different than everyone else. And the reporting has been from some sources that the MLB has kicked around putting a cap on this in the past. And the MLBPA said, no, thanks. We don't want to handcuff the flexibility of our players if this is something that lines up for someone. Exactly. And MLB could push harder and say, this is really important to us. We'll make actually some really big concessions here. To this point, they haven't done that because MLB doesn't view this as like the issue that they really need to lock in on. And if you want something in a CBA, you, you generally got to give something. And, you know, if I'm the, the PA, I mean, this probably isn't a big enough deal to do this, but you probably push back with something like, yeah, salary floor then. Right. Or, or something like that. Um, okay, so Shohei Otani is not a Toronto Blue Jay. Oh, can, you got one can more. I, can I just toss one thing in yes, there absolutely. just before we move on? Because, yeah, it's it's just been such a rough, you know, few days, I think, for this, for the media market that is Toronto, that is Canada. I also think more broadly, like for baseball journalism, it's been a bad few days <laughs> um, to, you know, put it mildly when you think about uh, fans trusting us with uh, with with reporting that in, in some cases – uh, from some American outlets just was not accurate. So just really hope that we can rebound from that and recover from that because yeah, this is people's entertainment. And I never want to look past that as like, Hey, this is, this is something that fans that matters a lot to fans and yeah, really sucks that it didn't unfold better with the outcome or the way it unfolded. Yeah, certainly. And you know, we, I can't speak to the the particular reporting in this case, you know, I'm, I'm on basketball right now. And when I'm on baseball, I'm certainly not breaking Shohei news at a national level, but I know how these things work and they can be, you know, a little complicated, but yeah, we're supposed to be stewards of that information as a, as a baseball media and kind of a, a conduit for fans. So um, yeah, there's a fan impact here that, that hopefully we can all take a step forward from. Uh, okay. So Shohei Otani is not a Toronto Blue Jay. I mentioned before, we did an at the letters at the start of the off season and went through some of the options. Most of those options are still on the board. It's a, it's a bit of a funny thing where in prepping for this episode, I was, you know, coming up with a list. I'm like, these names, I feel like I've talked about them before. And it's like, well, yeah, we're back to the starting point. Um, the market has to the Blue Jays benefit, not really moved that much uh, while everyone waited for the Shohei domino to fall, other than, of course, the the Soto trade that they can no longer get in on. Um, so I guess high level, what comes next if you're the Toronto Blue Jays? Well, I, I think it's probably a good thing that they took at least a couple days and didn't make a reactive move where it's <laughs> like, we're giving Jorge Soler a, you know, five-year deal or, you know, we're going to go and meet Yamamoto's asking price like today. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, they've they've let the dust settle settle a little bit. Whatever happens next will be disappointing. Like there's no there's just no recovery <laughs> from from the heights of acquiring a Shohei Otani. There is no way to uh, to match that. So um, compared to acquiring this historic player that we literally have never seen, not even with Babe Ruth, it will be disappointing. Um, so what form does that disappointment take? How good will this disappointing you know likely disappointing outcome be? We'll see. Um, it, it certainly won't compare to acquiring a player who literally pitches and hits at the same time. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty impossible. And then obviously the the frenzy and the excitement, uh, it's it's a bit of a a bit of a whiplash here. But there are competent players out there, players who could who could help the Toronto Blue Jays in 2024 and beyond. And they need it because they're losing six players via free agency. Four of them who you would say are probably big parts of what they did last year, which was not enough. And you're subtracting from that. So uh, even if you're pricing in some, you know, a bounce back for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. If you're still high on him, if you look at him uh, having two home runs and eight RBI and winning MVP of Jose Barrios, charity softball game. And you're like, Hey, it's back. He's so back. He's, he's back. He was, he won as a manager as well. Um, two way player. There oh. you go. Manager and hitter. Um, no, but if you, you know, think Vlad's going to be a little better, maybe see some upside in Bo still um, look at David Schneider or Elvis Martinez, Addison Barger, Spencer Horwitz. Hey, one or two of those guys and maybe a contributor. You have still lost more off your team after last season than you are adding. So the Blue Jays are going to have to be active. We have heard early on here that maybe that's been more kicking the tires on trades, but the free agent market has been slow to develop. The name at the top of that free agent market is a Scott Boris client um, who, you know, there will be lots of puns if and when he, he signs somewhere. Uh, Cody Bellinger is kind of a bizarre free agent case because 
He was a free agent not very long ago. Uh, the Cubs got him last year on a, a two-year, $25 million deal that had a player opt-out after one. He had a monster bounce back season. He went from a 210 average to 307, a 389 slug to 525. Um, you know, it, it was a pretty big swing from a sub two win player to a four win player for the Cubs. There were some underlying numbers that, that maybe suggest that's not sustainable. He was one of, you know, we talked a lot about Vlad Guerrero and the expected versus actual results based on some of the batted ball data. Bellinger brought up the luckier end of that, or luck is maybe not the right word, but the the biggest difference in a positive direction. Wrigley is also a field that, you know, we're working with only one season worth of data, but probably plays a little better to left-handed pull power than we maybe expect Roger center to settle in. Um, What do you make of Cody Bellinger as a potential rebound fit here? Some nice defensive versatility, obvious offensive upside, but you know, a one year bounce back after, yeah, this guy was available for, one year, 12 million last year. Yeah, which in hindsight, great deal by the Cubs. Jays were interested, didn't get it done. Um, and yeah, I, I think Bellinger is one of the top free agents out there for good reason. He's one of the few players on this market where you can say, I can really see a four-win uh, season from him pretty easily. I can see a five or six-win season if a couple things go right. Can't say that about a lot of guys. Matt Chapman's one where you can say, yep, he could be a four or five-win player. Um I don't think you'd say that about Teoscar or Lourdes. I don't, I mean, Blake Snell certainly at his best has been there. Yamamoto at his best maybe, but you wouldn't say that about Reese Hoskins. You wouldn't say that about Soler. And those are guys who are going to get paid. You wouldn't even say that about Josh Hader. Not that he's a Jays target. So yeah, I think that Bellinger for all of his flaws, he's someone who's going to be really coveted for good reason. Yankees probably out on him having acquired uh, Soto and Verdugo. Um, But you would still think that the Giants are a really good fit or the Cubs are a really good fit. So with the Giants now seemingly still with a lot of money, a lot of a lot of reason to spend um, given what the Dodgers are doing, I think that they're a threat for Snell and Bellinger, both Boris clients. I think they'll probably land one of those guys. Um, and I just don't see the Blue Jays bidding to like 250, 260. And if that's where the Giants go, if that's where this market goes, then good for Bellinger and good for Boris. I just don't see the Jays being in there, but if it's like hundred million less, if you can get him for 165, then I think they would do that. But I, I see his market being over 200. And look, that is as much, you know, the upside you mentioned in 2019, he was worth 7.8 wins above replacement by fan graphs. Right. He was, you know, his, his WRC plus that year. So, you know, the totality of his offense, when we control for some park factors and things like that was almost as high as the year of Vlad was second in MVP voting and Bellinger also plays a plus outfield. Um, and that year at least gave you a little bit on the bases. Yep. He's been very up and down as a base runner in his career, but there's real defensive value there. He start he played most of his games in center last year. He has been in right field where if you're looking at the Jays, Hey, that's your Varsho off day and your Springer off day in two spots. He's played a bunch of first base, which is a really weird thing in my mind to do with someone who can play center. Uh, you are taking one of the premium defensive positions, uh, a guy who can play there capably and asking him to play a spot. Everyone can play, but versatility is versatility. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a, a fit there. And then I guess the the tough part, and this is certainly what Scott Boris is going to be telling everyone is, well, Shohei and Soto are off the market. Cody Bellinger is a guy you could see he's coming off of a four-win season. He might have another one. Then there's another gap because look, he's coming off of one really good year after two down ones, but the upside there is something other position player free agents can't touch. If we go based on last year's wins above replacement value, which isn't the best metric, but um, as a way of sorting here, five of the next 10 guys are guys who have been Toronto blue Jays in the last 13 months. Matt Chapman, Brandon Belt, Kevin Kiermaier are one, two, three right now after Bellinger. Wow. And then Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And Tay Oscar Hernandez are both also in the top 10. Um, there is maybe an element of no going with someone, you know, and someone who's game and health and, and things like that. And clubhouse fit, you know, um, maybe being a little more valuable or at least not having the downside as someone you don't know. Would you imagine the Jays are revisiting at least on Chapman and Kiermaier here? What potential deals to bring them back would look like? Yeah, I think you have to. And, and, I've always been under the impression that there's at least an openness to going to Teoscar um, or Lourdes. Um, I 
can't imagine it would be both, but, um, you know, looking <laughs> it at... It would be at, very amusing. That would be something else. Um, yeah, I think that you have to be open to all of that. I think it's funny, right? Because last year's team was so frustrating. That's not just as a media member. I think fans felt that, and I think the players themselves felt that throughout the season um, and the coaching staff. It was just a frustrating year. So it's not exactly the season where you go, let's run it back. <laughs> that team, like, we're doing it again. And so that's where I think there's maybe a little bit of an aversion to Matt Chapman and, you know, just given that he is going to get paid pretty handsomely, probably talking about over a hundred million, maybe that's six years, 150, maybe it's even higher. He is Boris as an agent. Like who knows where all this stuff goes. Um, but I, you know, I think if you're the Jays, um, there's probably a case to look at him at four years for sure. He will get worse defensively, right? Like mm-hmm. talking to people in the game, everyone knows how good Matt Chapman is, but this is, it's just a fact of life. Like everyone, as you go closer to 35, he's not going to get better. He's going to get worse defensively. So that four war floor maybe becomes like a two war floor. That's still a good player. Um, It's not a $30 million player. And look, the thing is, is like the bat, look in April, that bat plays at any position on the diamond, but the, who he was the other five months of the year, that doesn't play at first base. That doesn't like, I imagine he would be an unbelievable first baseman, but the bat doesn't play there because so many guys can play first base, let alone a designated hitter spot. And, you know, I don't think he's the, it's just very hard to see given his strengths as a third baseman that translating to like a corner outfield or something. Yeah. I think he's a third baseman for the next five years, but I think he's probably like a really, really good defensive third baseman now trending toward average in a couple of years, trending toward maybe the last year of his deal. He's below average right. at, at third base, maybe still playing the position, but just, you know, not, not close to the territory that he is now. So uh, it's worth noting as well, Bellinger and Chapman are the only two remaining position players who have draft pick compensation attached to them. They're the only two uh, remaining who received a qualifying offer. So um, obviously if the, the Jays lose Chapman, they'll, they'll get something back for that. If they were to sign Bellinger, uh, you give up, you lose a pick. Um, and then, yeah, if you re-sign Chapman, there's no, yep. there's no, you can't give yourself a pick. So it's essentially <laughs> losing a pick. Which yeah, adds... I mean, yeah, the opportunity costs, right. yes. Um, so that, that factors in as well. And now, not to do, you know, these kind of cascading one-man tiers, but, you know, Chapman, you mentioned, hey, he could get $100 million or more. He's probably the last name on the position player list that is going to get $100 million or more. Based on Fangraph's projections, uh, the next highest position player uh, is, you know, the crowdsourced aggregate is Jorge Soler, who's at three years, 48 million. Like there is yeah. a, and, and that's not to say Soler's the next best free agent, but some of the ones who are ahead of him are 34, 35, 36. And those guys aren't going to get, you know, long multi-year deals. So um, yeah, I guess you're in a spot where if it's not Bellinger or Chapman, and we'll come back to some of the position player names, but you know, if you sit down and Bellinger's getting 200 million and you're not comfortable with that Chapman, you're too worried about the decline or the fact that, most of your prospects are concentrated in the second base, third base positions. So you don't want to block that for four or five years. Um, and then you sit down and you look at what's left and and how far your money goes. And I think when we did the out the letters exercise, we, we guessed about 45 million or yep. so after the ARB numbers and everything. Yep. So if you're looking, you know, maybe that's not as exciting when you're into the Kevin Kiermaier, JD Martinez, Mitch Garver, Adam Duvall category. And we'll circle back to some of those names. Do you think the Blue Jays would look at the market and consider, hey, we have a more pressing need on the position player side, but this market is flush with back-end starting pitching options. Maybe we're better off using the money there and then either leaning into that as a strength and you know prioritizing defense again in, in those roster spots or then trading from a position of strength. Um, do you think the market could nudge the Blue Jays in that direction? You know, I, I think... Yes, I think it could because um, at the higher end of that market, Yamamoto is super, super interesting. And, you know, I don't think you do it for necessarily a back-end starter like a Seth Lugo who just signed with the Royals. Jay's running on that for mm-hmm. as, as one example. That was three years, 45? Three years, 45. I mean, I just – and Lugo's pretty good actually. Um, but um, I don't think that you necessarily see the Jays on that territory. I actually think there's a case and you just option Manoa. You know, Mm -hmm. like, it's not like he necessarily, you know, has played so well last year that you have to give him a spot on the opening day roster. Also, like, it's, it's weird to think of contextually because it's Manoa and what he was before, but most 
competitive teams are going to option a starting pitcher depth to the minors out of camp because most teams have more than five starters just in case. And, and someone could be hurt too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, who knows? Jose Barrios could step on a sprinkler on the third week of spring training. And, you know, he has to, he has to miss his first two starts. So, you know, there's always a case to be adding pitching depth. I think the Yamamoto one is really interesting because along with Bellinger, Bellinger 28, Yamamoto 25. And these guys have a chance to really become a core piece for the team that they join. And this is a Blue Jays team that as we've talked about at length, this core is kind of reaching a little bit of a, I'm going to say inflection point, but some people might say expiry date. And two years from now, a lot of these guys are slated to hit free agency. So what is the, and Nick Ashbourne wrote about this at Sportsnet, Shai Davidi's written about this extensively at Sportsnet. Um, so it's a big theme for this team as they move ahead here. But once Bo and Vlad are slated to hit free agency in two years time, who is the best player on this team? Who is like the the franchise player? And it could be Manoa. It could be Aurelvis Martinez or Ricky Tiedemann. But there's no one that you have that high a degree of confidence in. And that's where if there's a young free agent, this is where Shohei was perfect. But if you have a young free agent that can be a part of this core for five, seven years when they're still a good player, that has got to have appeal. And Yamamoto is pretty much alone in that regard on the pitching side where um, I think with the exception of Julio Urias, who is a a separate case there, um, nobody else is younger than 28. Jack Flaherty is the next youngest starting pitcher. And obviously that's not a a spicy. I guess there's Yarael Rodriguez, the the Cuban via Japan, who's 27 and could come over. Um, But yeah, it's pretty thin on on young guys. Okay, so that is a possibility. Um, Certainly somewhere you could, spend your money if you don't like what the position player side uh, is bringing. And there are tons of names. If you did go after a starting pitcher, Jordan Montgomery, I mean, let's say you don't even aim as high as Blake Snell, but Montgomery, Marcus Stroman, Michael Walker. Hey, maybe Clayton Kershaw wants to go somewhere else on a one year. Uh, see what's there. Michael Lorenzen. There, there are a lot of names. And then there are every year in baseball, a ton of the like, okay, let's give you a, uh, you know, a, a split contract or a contract with incentives. See if you're healthy, Frankie Montas. Sure. Let's, you know, guys like that. Um, Tyler Molly, let's see if you can bounce back, you know, once you're, once you're good to go. There are always a, a ton of guys like that. Is there anyone from that pile of starting pitchers that, that has caught your eye or should we p- pivot back to position players? Uh, it's Montas is an interesting one. Mally, I, I don't think would come here, um, but, um, or I don't think he'll end up coming here, but, uh, yeah, I think that's a tier of pitchers and I, I might even throw James Paxton in there as well, where it's like a tier of pitchers that makes a lot of sense for every big market team. Mm-hmm. Like the Red Sox do that. The Dodgers, the Giants, they do that habitually. I just think it makes a ton of sense because I mean, the Rays do this and just use the injured list at mm-hmm. times, uh, to stash guys. Um, you have the 40 man space now, um, do it. I, I think those moves are always good. Like if the Jays could go out and get Paxton for five over one plus incentives, like that would be that's like a nice solid B plus deal that could have the upside of being like an A minus deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are a number and obviously you can pick through and pick the one you like. And um, there are always uh, names like that. And sometimes they end up being who was the one the other year that I'm Jaime Garcia. And then it doesn't end up anything. And sometimes it hits. So yeah. I mean, it didn't really end up mattering that much, but like, Dallas Keuchel gave a team good innings for a little bit last year. Um, Martin Perez was like out of the league. And then, and then, yeah, that's another guy's a free agent, but he didn't have a particularly great season last year. Um, Pitchers bounce back. And if you're established as one teams will always want to uh, kick the tires on you. Okay. Let's look at some of these free agent options that, that are a little further down. So we talked about some of the guys who could come back. We talked about Cody Bellinger. The next name on the list is at least in terms of expected earnings is Probably Jorge Soler. Um, now he is going to give you like if you thought the Teoscar and Lourdes years in the corner outfields were amusing, uh, you would really enjoy Jorge Soler. I don't think this front office, given what they've prioritized, would enjoy him there. That's probably a DH only spot. He did bounce back last year with 36 home runs after three seasons of being about a league average bat overall. And obviously if you play a bad corner outfield or no position at all, a league average bat doesn't get you there. This is a guy who has hit 48 in the past hit 36 last year. Um, what is your feel on Jorge Soler versus, you know, a couple of other DH candidates. I, I know you're interested in, you know, with, um, with this tier of the market, like I wonder if the Jays actually are better off by not rushing things because they are, 
are a team with money. I mean, that was clear. And I do think that the Otani money is not just readily allocated to everyone else. I think that was a one-of-one situation, understandably. This is a unique, unique player. But um, clearly, the Jays can spend a lot more than some teams that I know we'll get to here. And so that puts them in a good position. And some teams also have DH spots that are relatively tied up. And that prevents them from really considering names like a Soler, J.D. Martinez, Joey yeah, Votto. The Yankees can't get in on those guys. They already exactly. have, you know, outfield spots and Giancarlo Stanton. And, and um, who was the other? They picked up Trent Grisham in that trade, right? So yep. they've got, you know, their four outfield spots really filled and the DH spot. Yeah. So so they're, they're out, you would think. And I mean, you know, it's tricky because, like, even next year, Springer's a year older. Like, he might need more DH time. Um, but... They're also in a position where they need to win now. They can't worry too much about, um, you know, necessarily what the 2025 lineup looks like. And they might consider trades for Springer anyway. So that's another, you know, wrinkle in all of this. But I, I think for now, you have the DH spot open. So that gives you a lot of flexibility. You have money to spend. That puts you in a great spot. I don't think you have to rush that. I so think are that, you, sorry to cut you off, yeah. when you're talking about the financial might maybe being an advantage the longer you wait. Are you thinking in a scenario where, look, all these guys aren't going to get signed? I mean, the thing that comes to mind for me is maybe then you pay a little more in annual value on a shorter deal because, you know, there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal, really. If you, you know, aren't enamored with a Solaire for multiple years, do you, you know, instead of three four, three years, 16 mil a year, you go, hey, one year 20 or or with a, you know, a small buyout on a second year or something like that. Um, maybe he's not the right example of that. Maybe that's more the Reese Hoskins tier of guy. But but is that kind of what you're thinking in terms of waiting? Yeah, because, okay, with Solaire, for example, I wouldn't, if I was the Jays, I wouldn't be in a rush to lock him up for 48 over three or 56 over four, whatever the number ends up being that you have to, they have to spend to get him to come to this this tiny outpost that is Toronto, according to John Heyman. So, um, you know, whatever that number a, is. A miracle we have recording equipment <laughs> to, to work on our lack of electricity It's amazing, here. yes. Um, really, really grateful that we were able to get the generator going to record this. Um, but, um, you know, whatever that number is, um, that's clearly a pretty big expenditure. And I just don't think you have to go there. I think that, for example, right now, if you want to offer J.D. Martinez 20 over 1, great. If you want to offer Reese Hoskins a two-year deal, that's really good. Reese Hoskins, a young player in his prime, great track record. That's a good way to go if the medicals check out. But I just wouldn't go to Solaire at three right mm-hmm. now. I think that's where you wait because at the in four weeks' time, in five weeks' time, there's going to be a little bit more pressure on these guys to sign. And not to like think like anti-labor here. I even <laughs> hate this as I'm saying it, but like you know the price is going to come down on this stuff. Yeah, you you have an idea of it. And obviously there's, you know, the other side of it is some agents will be like, yeah, well, the Blue Jays lost a bunch of players and, and maybe they get desperate at some point, but maybe you don't. Yeah, like that's a game of chicken you can engage in if you want. And I think there are places you should be desperate. And like with Otani, yeah, be desperate. Like there's no one else. There's You don't have any leverage to go to the next two-way player, right? No. Like, yeah, you have no... And, or the next guy who all your outfield walls will constantly be covered in high revenue advertisement yeah. because there's a whole nother continent watching all your games. Exactly. He's one of one. So just like f- sacrifice even the idea that you have leverage, just do whatever you can to get him. Uh, you know, as we discussed, they, they made their shot. Organizational wide effort didn't happen. So there aren't... Like on the DH market, you don't have to you don't have to put yourself out there in the same way. You don't have to sacrifice all your leverage here on December twelfth. You can just wait. I do think though that on the infield market, you have to act with a bit more desperation because there is not as much out there. And so on the infield market, and again, third base and left field, probably their biggest needs mm-hmm. right now. This is a team that, in my opinion, cannot enter the season with what they have at third base or left field. It's like, it's not even close to good enough. Because right so, now it would be some combination of Davis Schneider and Kevin Biggio with the lion's share of the playing time in one of those, or both of those spots probably, and then, you know, whichever of the other young guys sticks. Yeah, and I mean, I'm fine going into the season with Biggio and Espinal or Davis Schneider at second base. That's that's no problem. Um but then who plays third? Mm-hmm. You know, that's even assuming you're covering second base internally. Left field, massive, massive opening. You don't have an outfielder who's major league ready at this point. So, Or a fourth outfielder, and you look at, they did not want to play Dalton Varsho against every lefty last year, and you certainly don't want to play George Springer in right field every game. So you the premium or the 
the importance of a fourth outfielder type that is actually going to play and not be this year's, you know, if Cam Eden is this year's Bradley Zimmer is last year's Nathan Lucas or whatever, um, you need someone who's going to play real time in both of those spots. Absolutely. Especially because Springer could miss some time. What if Varshall misses time? You need to have contingencies there. So third base, left field, and left field, you know, it's an easy position to fill, relatively speaking. There are always left fielders out there in free agency. Third base, not really the case, especially this year. And so this is where, you know, with Chapman, yeah, you know, you don't necessarily have to go out there and meet Boris's asking price today, but you want to keep tabs on that market. You don't want to let that drift away from you. Because it's who next? Probably Justin Turner, Donovan yeah. Solano, who's oh. like 100 years old. Yeah. I guess he's younger than Justin Turner probably, but um, they're yeah. both, you know, not young. And this is where, like, I think, you know, utility guys like, you know, uh, Shy has reported the Jays have interest in IKF. Makes a lot of sense. Um, to me, that would be a good addition. Gio Urshela is um, out Gio there Urshela. in a similar kind of... I, I like Gio Urshela as a one-year deal. I think that's a good pickup. Um, Ahmed Rosario, I, I, you know, people people maybe roast me for how much I like Ahmed Rosario, but I think he's a good... Um, I think he's a good pickup uh, to I mean, look at. Look, at that point in the free agent bin, you're looking for guys who have shown they can be even like a one and a half, two in player, yeah. right? And if they're if they're not that good, then the money you're spending at that part of the market is probably not that crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know the the median projection is like eight million dollars for Tim Anderson, but like eight million dollars is not that much in the. And I'm not advocating for Tim Anderson. I'm just using it as yeah. a. Ahmed Rosario uh, comparison. Do you like Justin Turner? Is he a little too yes. too far gone? Oh, no, I, I like it. I think, you know, you'd have to pencil him in as third base slash DH. I mm-hmm. also like Tim Anderson um, just because who knows? He's young enough that it just could go back. Um, and at least had the platoon splits last year, although we're chopping up samples pretty small there. I'd be fine with that. Um, but infield is it just thins out pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where you got to look at trades. You have to really know what the options are. And be really have a, have a really good sense. If Chapman signs with the Giants in two days' time, if they get if, if Yamamoto goes to the Yankees, and the Jays seem to be interested there, but if Yamamoto goes to the Yankees, Bellinger goes to the Giants, Chapman goes to the Giants, what do the Jays do in the infield? You know, like what's their move? Like it's it's this is still a team that, as you said from the outset, they're down six players. So there is one other name I want, two other names on the position player side. I, I want to throw at you before we explore some of the trades, because I, I think the answer to your question is, well, then you look to the trade market and maybe there are some opportunities there. Um, you, we mentioned a couple right-handed hitting DH potential Jorge Soler. I know Reese Hoskins is a guy you like, and we talked a lot about on the, at the letters episode we did at the start of the off season, JD Martinez, everyone is familiar with a righty who hits lefties really, really well um, and can plug that DH spot. Another name that's out there and, I think defensively, you wouldn't want to use him at catcher, but Mitch Garver is theoretically a catcher slash DH, probably like a Varsho level emergency back there rather than someone you, you'd pencil in on the depth chart. Um, is he a name of interest to you? Yeah, he is. I mean, you look at what he was able to do last year and he timed his walk here really well. Oh, yeah. 870 OPS. Um Kind of got Danny Jansen vibes um, as far as just being a catcher who can really mash. Um, hasn't necessarily stayed on the field a ton, but he's a good hitter. Uh, you know, there's some buzz out there. Some of the projections have him getting three years. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, for a, a 30, almost someone who will be 33 when the season starts and uh, is, yeah. is just the DH at that's this a, point. That's a no for me. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Yeah, if it's if it's one year, yeah, sure. If it's two years, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think he'd be top, top, top on my list, but I think he's interesting and kind of underscores that there's actually depth on the DH side of this market. So the DH spot that the Jays have, they will be able to fill Mm -hmm. like that's, that's not going to be a problem. Even if it's Davis Schneider, who's kind of a DH, right? Based on what we know about him. Um, But, um, and that's fine. Spencer Horowitz as well. Right. That's okay. Like maybe you have some internal options there. It's really third base and left field um, that you've you've got to find some guys who can do it on both sides of the ball. Because as much as you know, people talk about Dalton Varsho and in relation to Gabriel Moreno so much, but you know this guy was a really good player last year, and part of the reason the Blue Jays were able to have a good run prevention team was obviously Kiermaier and Varsho. So you don't want to totally move away from that and sacrifice defense to have a bunch of Jorge Soler's and J.D. Martinez's on the team. 
All right. I have one last name to throw at you before we pivot to trade possibilities. We haven't heard a lot about what his market will be yet, but Jung-Hoo Lee, who is a Japanese player who played in the KBO, he is a multi-position outfielder. You know, I don't have a great read on how good the D is in center field, but he played a bunch of it in the Korean league. Um, a very high-end batting average hitter. He, he hit 360, 349, 318 the last three years and not a ton of home run power, but does have a 23 home run season in his uh, not-so-distant path, past a little bit of base running there as well. Have you heard much on Jung Hoo Lee? We know the Jays scout the Asian market pretty aggressively. They do. Yeah, they really do. Um, they, they had a lot of looks at Yamamoto, um, and it makes sense to be in on Lee. Uh I don't. I haven't seen a lot of buzz on his market or what he would be looking for. He is it's been weirdly quiet, right? A Boris client. I wonder if that just takes some more time. All to the develop. Boris guys are laying in the cut right now. <laughs> yeah, um, it was Scott Boris is probably least favorite winter meetings ever um, <laughs> with everyone talking about Shohei Otani. But um, yeah, I would think that. So you look at again Japanese players opposed to Korean, but Masataki Yoshida came over and signed for ninety million dollars. Um, and from what I gather, with Lee. You might be talking about a similar profile, maybe not quite as good of a hitter as Yoshida, maybe not quite as much power. Not that Yoshida's a big power guy, but it sounds like he's a good contact hitter. Um, so I would think the price is under $90 million. Maybe is that $60 million over five, four? I, I don't, I don't know. That's total, total speculation. Um, but I don't think you're getting like a big middle-of-the-order bat with Lee. I think it's more like a guy who hits seventh or eighth. And then, I mean, that would be... It would be interesting still. And again, he's 25 when everyone else we're talking about is 29, 30, 39 in the case of Justin Turner. Um, so there's some, you know, hey, could this guy be maybe not a star core piece, but someone you can build with a little bit. And, and there's nothing wrong with having a seven or eight hitter. Like, I'm not no. saying that to disparage the guy. Like, there's no, some... honestly <laughs> a big part of the Jays value offensively two years back was they had the they got the most production out of the bottom three spots in the order in all of baseball. Yeah. And I mean, right now, their lineup kind of needs some seven hitters and eight yeah. hitters and six hitters and well, four hitters also, but you know, um, yeah, that that's a good major league team is going to have someone hitting eighth. That's not an insult. And then when we get down to the very bottom or not the very bottom, but there are a lot of other names out there who are more in the Brandon bell come February, kick the tires. Like there's Joey Gallo, there's party jock. There's, um, I don't know, Tommy fam and Harrison Bader. Michael A. Taylor's probably a little higher as, as a, you know, that fourth outfielder type who gives you the defensive value and versatility. But there are a lot of names. We're just not going to, we're not going to go down the list of, of every possible free agent. Um, before we pivot trade, were there any other free agents that you want to do specifically note? I think we got most of the ones. Yeah. We planned. Well, let me ask you about Yamamoto. What would be your stance on him? What would be your max offer to him? Um, it's tough because he's obviously the, the stats translate, you know, Saris had a terrific piece at the athletic this week, kind of going into what he brings and why it'll translate. Um, I'm sure there are some like old school scout types who see a skinny five foot 10 guy and they're like, yeah, I don't see it holding up or, or whatever, you know, the things we heard about Tim Collins back in the day and then Stroman and Sonny Gray as the kind of the first free agent off sure. the board. This Lincecum, year, but, Strider, there are yeah. a lot of great little right-handers. Yeah, now Strider is as wide as he is tall, so that maybe helps with the durability. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Yamamoto, I don't know, it, it's hard for me. The 300 number that's been thrown out there is is a lot, man, like, Pitcher attrition rate, trying to translate this over, you know, any pitcher, like has a pitcher gotten that much? Like Garrett Cole did, you're yeah. talking about like a, a Cy Young winner finally. Um, so 300 is tough. I think if I you agree. could get the 200 though, I think like, like obviously that's a huge gap, but like yeah. you can get to a number around 200 that I think you'd be okay with. And I do wonder if just the number of teams involved is letting the agent side here be like, nope, 300's the number. Look at all the teams. Well, and it's certainly anytime I see a report that says seven teams finalists for, I mean, that's kind of transparent. That's not what finalists means. <laughs> right. And also it kind of tells you where the information is coming from because I don't think they're asking all 30 general managers, hey, are you interested? Okay, check. Are you interested? Yeah. Oh, oh, the answer is seven. I think that's um, a good lesson for everyone of where information is coming this time of year. And teams and, know that yeah. so transparently. And that's fine. That's that's part of how this unfolds. Um, to me, with Yamamoto, super intriguing. Love the youth. Um, seems like he has great stuff and um, obviously command elite home run suppression. I think if the Jays were to offer, if the Jays signed him for 225 over nine, I would say that's a good deal. 
And if they signed him for 300 over 10, I would say that's a really interesting deal <laughs> and it carries a lot of risk. Yeah, and obviously, you know, again, we're talking about 700 with Otani, but there is a two-way component to that where even if he gets yeah. hurt as a pitcher, he's winning the MVP the as, a, also as a hitter. Hurts. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, obviously we've seen with players from Japan in the past um, that, yeah, there's a there's a marketing boost to that. There's a, an interest boost to that. But we're talking about a star of a different level when it comes to Otani and you're offsetting some of those expenditures in a way I don't know you would with Yamamoto, even if you're you're pretty high uh, on him. So one other way the Blue Jays could try to patch things right now and make some additions is to look at the trade market. And they did this last year in addition to free agency. They signed Kiermaier and Belt, but they traded for Varsho. We won't uh, remember what the the trade going back was in that deal. I'm sure they gave up nothing for Dalton Varsho and we don't need to worry about it. Um, But trades are a possibility. And there's a particularly interesting situation in baseball right now where we have seen Bally and Diamond Sports, the regional sports networks who represent a lot of teams in the major leagues, um, you know, not the Dodgers or the Yankees and Jays who own their own networks or owned by uh, the same company that owns the networks. There are a lot of teams, though, who their biggest or at least steadiest source of revenue, TV revenue, is either in question right now or gone completely. Um, in your talks with, whether it's it's team or agent people or whatever, so far, are we expecting that to have an impact? I mean, we've already seen Seattle kind of salary dump move in that trade with Atlanta. Um, are we expecting more of that as we, we get a little further into the offseason here as, you know, some of those medium or even small market teams don't know where the the next TV is coming from. I mean, clearly a huge story in Major League Baseball and an evolving one. Um, yeah, you see the Twins, even the Rangers, I think were expected at the outset of the offseason to maybe be more aggressive because they had just won the World Series. But they've had to take a step back as well. Um, you know, talking to agents about this, agents say, well, they could still spend. They're just not doing it. Um, talking to teams... Um, you know, they're maybe a bit more matter of fact about it. And it's just, okay, how, how do we, how do we operate in this market? Um, there's probably less, uh, you know, uh, kind of philosophizing on whether it's a good or bad thing and teams, it's just the pragmatic, okay, what do we do with this, um, situation? And I think for the Jays, they are in a position where they still do have whatever it is. If we're estimating around 40, 45 million to spend, that gives them a lot to do. And if those needs aren't being met in free agency, then I absolutely think that the trades becomes like, I think the Jays are going to make a big trade this off season of some kind. Um, you know, I'm not saying a blockbuster, but I think some trade of significance will occur with this team. And there are look there, more than half the league is affected by these potential regional sports network situations. And we've heard, you know, MLB wants to step in and, take control of some of the broadcasts, whatever. We don't know how it's all going to shake out yet. Other than a bankruptcy judge was like, uh, diamond, you, you have to pay the existing contracts. You've already gotten the games for, you can't, uh, you can't just leave them in the lurch for that. So there are a couple teams we expect to maybe affect. Um, we've also seen some teams just whether it's because of that or just generally trimming the payroll a little bit, you know, that was part of San Diego's motivation for dealing Juan Soto a year early, knowing they're not going to, you know, pay up for, for an extension for him. I think the pie in the sky is, well, what if Cleveland listened on Jose Ramirez? It It's hard to fathom because they got him on such a good deal. Am I aiming, like, is that too high a uh, kick the tires on? Like, that's probably not going down, right? I think, I think you know the answer to that question. <laughs> um, but I think, like, why not check, right? <laughs> like, it's might as well take a look. He's probably a Hall of Fame player. He's probably going to go into the hall of fame wearing a guardian's hat, yeah, but he's got five years left on his deal and it tops out at 25 in a year. Yeah. That's great. Like you kind of love that deal. Yeah. And he's, he's only 30 five like, years, one Oh five left. Yeah. That's great. You like, you'd give pay up, pay him double that. Yeah. Like you would give up a lot to get that contract from the guardians. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the guardians are a team potentially to be affected by this though. And they have some other interesting, uh, names, Obviously, Ramirez is on the the very, very high end. I know people uh, are often interested in Josh Naylor, who is, of course, Canadian and set to make an estimated $7.2 million in arbitration. Coming off a pretty strong year, it looked like he was breaking. I, I wouldn't sell on him if I were Cleveland yet. 
But uh, maybe that 7.2 million price tag in, in ARB gets you there. And the other name of, it, of potential interest is Andres Jimenez, who um, is also under contract for, for six more years. Um, seven, if you include uh, a team option year. It's not the best contract in baseball, but it, it's not bad. Um, Jimenez, still just 25, had a bit of a down year this year. Uh, would you... Would you take a look at, at a Jimenez or Naylor, or would you expect Cleveland to have them on the table? I think both those guys would legitimately be on the table and acquirable. I think with Naylor, because you have Vladdy, I don't know that it's the greatest fit, mm-hmm. um, and there is some depth to the DH market this year. Um, so I think you probably just let him go somewhere else. And then with Jimenez, really interesting because positionally, you know, he can play some shorter, some seconds. So that would really address a need for the Jays. It's funny, like you mentioned that contract, and he's kind of like the least recognizable 100 million player in baseball mm-hmm. history, probably. And he's still <laughs> just 25, yeah. even though he's been around for a while and, you know, been traded already. And I'd take a look at him. Yeah. I think, you know, I haven't gone to the to the depths, obviously, that um, that a team would have to if they were serious about acquiring him. But I think you look at a guy who's been this good through age 24, that tells you a lot of positive things. Um, and then how you project him forward is a different question, but he's probably going to be a good major league player for the next four or five years. So that's someone that's worth taking a look at. The Milwaukee Brewers have someone who I know you would love to uh, poach. Willie Adamas is set to make a projected 12.4 million in his final year of arbitration. Corbin Burns, who there's been rumors about out there as well, projected to get 15.1 in his final year of arbitration and has not talked fondly about the arbitration process to where uh, people seem to think it's a foregone conclusion he'll leave in free agency. We know the Dodgers are are in on guys like that as well. There is also Christian Yellick, who um, has a lot of years of team control left. That is maybe not a positive in his case. He's 32 with six years uh, left on that deal and coming off of, you know, four solid seasons, but nothing particularly special. Um, Know you're a fan of Adamas. Do you think that that is a, a move that could be possible? Would you have an interest in Yellick? Uh, yeah, I think Adamas is definitely possible. Um, because yeah, you're the, the Brewers are, you know, uh, the Brewers legitimately are a small market team. Like Milwaukee is not a big place and, um, they act like it. So you can really take advantage of a team like that. Um, when players start to get expensive and Adamas just one year from free agency, really good player can play shortstop. I'm sure he could play third if the Jays needed him in that capacity. Um, so I would take a long, hard look at him. I think Espinal would make sense as I'm not saying the centerpiece, but as one of the players that would go back to Milwaukee and as for Yelich, yeah, I'd take a look, but the Brewers would have to be eating a lot of money in that deal. Mm-hmm. And you're not giving up, you know, that's not a prospect rich trade. No. That's a, a financially motivated, uh, trade for the Brewers. Um, sticking with the small ish market M's. The Minnesota Twins make some sense as well. The Minnesota Twins actually have made sense as a potential trade partner for a little bit just before we even get into the finances, just as, a, as kind of they had kind of inverse weaknesses two years ago. Um, the Twins obviously made do and uh, got further than the Blue Jays in the playoffs, despite some of their their holes. There's a play in the AL Central where the, the bar to the playoffs is a little lighter, um, but they've got a couple guys. Uh, in Jorge Blanco and Max Kepler, who are now over 30, make in the low eight figures. They they make 10 and 10.5. And Kepler's in the last year of his deal. Polanco has a club option with a, a reasonable bio for next year. So um, the Twins might look at this as two guys in their 30s who make a combined 20, 21 million dollars and might only be here one more year individually or even as a package. Is that something you think the like are those? the type of guys the the Jays could be interested in and the type of situation we're talking about here? Yes, I think this is very realistic. I think that these are the types of players that both would be attainable by the Twins and desirable for the Blue Jays. I'm not saying you build your offseason around Max Kepler, um, but he's a good player, and Jorge Polanco is a good player. I don't know if he's a third baseman, like an everyday third baseman at this point in his career, but he could play there a little bit. He could play second for you. Um, he could even back up at short probably if you needed for a few games. He played none this past year, but he got a little bit of time there the year prior. Yeah. Like a few games. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe that's Look, a little, someone on the roster has to nominally be able to play shortstop in a pinch. It's the reason Santiago Espinal, you know, had a playoff spot, a playoff yeah. roster spot. So, so I'd take a look at both those guys. Um, yeah, I think the twins need to get out from some money. So 
probably the Twins are trading one of those guys. And yeah, if you're the Jays, that that warrants a real look. Are they a team where you know, you'd think that would be on the prospect side or are you given something back in that one? I know, I can't remember who specifically, but in addition to, hey, maybe they they move off a of Springer in some sort of deal. I know that some people have brought up, hey, one of these teams that might be interested in a trade like the type we're talking about, one year on a low AAV of Kikuchi could be really attractive if you can address the rotation somewhere else. I, you know, you don't want to lose a guy like that who's been so fun and coming off a good year, but generally you got to give something to get something. Yeah, and I think, you know, with Kikuchi, he would be a good fit for the Twins because, again, they need pitching. Like, they lost Sonny Gray and Kenta Maeda to free agency. Um, and maybe someone else, his name is escaping me right now. But, um, you know, they really do need pitching. Tyler Maley was the... The other one. So there's even more. Yeah. Out yeah. the window. So this is a team that probably isn't going to go out there. They're definitely not signing Yamamoto. They're definitely not, you know, signing the big names. No chance. Blake Snell is going to be a twin next year. So they need to find a way to do it affordably. Um, Kikuchi. It's funny. Like if they had acquired Otani, I actually don't think you could have traded Kikuchi. No. Um, but now you kind of can <laughs> if you want to. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, and you're obviously there's the the friendship element there, the market element, and then also the fact that Kikuchi's contract expires as Otani would theoretically re-enter your rotation. Perfect um, So it, it lines up that way as well. Although if Kikuchi helped recruit him, I'm giving him a lifetime deal. Oh, exactly. Like if that had worked, someone said put him on the level of excellence yeah. right away. Like that, there's so many, like the alternate universe where the Jays somehow got Shohei would just be like this jubilant place to be. But, you know, we're here talking about uh, Max Kepler, the guy <laughs> the Jays were so scared of that, uh, you know, they, they brought in, um, they brought in Yusei Kikuchi. To, to face him. So that would actually be kind of a fitting trade given how that playoff game worked. Um, okay. So there are, we're about an hour in here. So I'm going to, I'm going to zoom through this, but there are a handful of others, you know, the Padres could be motivated to, you know, make a, a Soto light move Machado and, and Tatis would obviously be interesting there. We don't really know which direction the white Sox are going to go in under new management. We've heard Luis Robert isn't available, but they've got some salary only guys in Juan Moncada and Aloy Jimenez who, you know, maybe you look at if they'll eat some money. Pittsburgh's always a team that that's probably selling anyone with a contract. Um, Lane Thomas in Washington, Ryan McMahon in Colorado, who isn't a spicy name to me, but I, I've seen him pop out there. There's Tampa Bay options. I'm throwing a lot at you here, but, um, is there anyone that you've kind of, I, I know Adamus and the Kepler Polanco ones are, are the ones that have been front of mind for you. Are there any others out there that, that you'd like to speak into existence or think would get looked at? I, I think all of what you said will get looked at or already has been looked at. Um, the Jays have had two months, more than two months now since that playoff loss. Like if they haven't gone through all those possibilities, then you know, that's like, this is they're they're doing this stuff. They're looking at all these names. Um, beyond any doubt and they should release it as a podcast uh, yeah be very it, informative it would be a two-month-long podcast um and uh yeah i actually think i would listen to some that. people on jay's twitter would listen <laughs> i know you would listen yeah. you listen to more baseball content than anyone i know yeah i listen to a lot of baseball yeah. podcasts it's true um i i'm on some baseball podcasts but yeah. i'm also an avid consumer of baseball podcasts are you a uh like a higher speed listener you listen to it oh, at man. one 1.0 1. 1.0 1. 1. me the too whole way. and that's i think that's that's part of why I'm just not a podcast guy. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll win you over at some point. But yeah, yeah in the meantime, I think all these um, all these possibilities are out there. To me, Willie Adamas, get Willie Adamas, get Reese Hoskins, get Rosario, get IKF, you know, just get some good players. You're not going to get the great player, get some good players. Yeah. And then who knows? You can always address things in season as well. Um, you know, one of your prospects hits. Some team is bad and they don't expect to be, you know, like the Padres. I wonder if they would have gotten a little more for Juan Soto at the deadline this past year when you get him for a playoff race and one year. Um, things always change. Uh, there's also the possibility the Jays trade more meaningfully from their own roster as part of a, a bigger deal. You had mentioned earlier the possibility of maybe there's a George Springer situation. Obviously, we all like Springer. He's been a good fit, but. He's declining, and the last couple of years of this contract might not be uh, the best. Um, when you mentioned that, what what was kind of on your mind? What, what How could you envision a, a Springer situation coming up? I think it's probably, you know, uh, unlikely because as we're talking about throwing a ton of teams that want to take on money, um, you know, he's a corner guy now. When he hit free agency, he was a center fielder, part of the reason he got 150. Um, so I'm not sure there's a ton of trade value there. Uh, you know, you look at some teams that might 
be logical fits for a player like that. I mean, he's kind of got, obviously the Astros were a great fit for him, but he's not going back to Houston. They already have a DH and Alvarez. So, um, yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> that reminds me actually, sorry, the, if the Jays got Bellinger, the Bellinger Springer dynamic would be very funny to monitor because Bellinger was like the most outspoken person about the Astro scandal because he thought the Dodgers got cheated out of a, out of oh, a world series. That's interesting. And yeah. He I, was like really outspoken. I, I don't think Bellinger's coming here. And I know there was the Instagram thing that you want to talk about being used. That is in my, <laughs> that's what it looks like to be used. That is, you know, if someone posts something on Instagram from two years ago, yeah, that, not yeah. traveling to Dunedin and spending 36 exactly. hours there. Yeah. You go to Dunedin. That just means you're a baseball nerd. You're not trying yeah. to use someone like, of course they benefited from that. Of course, CAA benefits, but like, yeah, he's I, taking pictures so the Dodgers can get their own actual spring seriously. training facility. Joey's this is what I taking want. Notes. Yeah. The whole ride home. He's probably like <laughs> rapidly writing down notes so he can tell the Dodgers what he wants. But yeah, I think, um, I don't know where it's going with that, but, um, Yes, the Jays will look to add. Um, (laughs) So the other one that it got, I can't remember who floated out there, but I'll just mention it because someone had mentioned the idea of a Bo trade. I I know people had pivoted from, well, if not Shohei, maybe you should lock those guys up. Um, Do you think, I mean, they pretty firmly said they're not going to trade Bo. What did you make of that coming out and the response to it? So I think like, logically it's just really hard to make the team better while also trading Bo Bichette mm-hmm. because he's a really good player and you need offense and he provides offense. You need up the middle players. Like he's really good at the same time. I, I just, I just wonder if other teams could approach the Jays and if other teams sense that the blue Jays were eager to make a big splash, eager to really change the tone around this team and what bigger way to do that now than by considering a move like that? So if if you're the Cubs, if you're the Mariners, if you're the Angels, I think there's a case to be made for approaching the Blue Jays about Bo Bichette. Where that leads, I don't know. Again, it's really hard to make the Blue Jays better by trading Bo Bichette, but stranger things have happened. You mentioned the Angels. Uh, just Would you eat Trout's money to take the risk that maybe he can give you something as a as a corner guy these last few years? I'd have what's how much money is on that? It's a lot. It's a, it's a lot. And he has not been remotely healthy. Can't get Uh, Shohei. So just get Mike Trout. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's 32. The contract goes until 2030. Right. So So until he's 40 or so. Yeah. At 35 and a half annually. Yeah. That's, he has not played a lot of baseball the last three years. I mean, you'd need, you'd need the angels to eat some money. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not giving up. Like that's that contract is not a good contract at this point. Um, last one before we, we wrap up here. Um, you kind of have been at the forefront of the reporting on the Alec Manoa situation. Last we heard the Jays say publicly, hey, he's in the mix with probably a head start for the number five spot. That's the intention. But we know that given the way that situation unfolded, probably something close to 29 teams called the Blue Jays about Manoa and where the asking price was, how the Jays were valuing him. Um, what have you made of that as we've gotten into the offseason here? Clearly, uh, there's a willingness to listen on the part of the Jays. Uh, I get the sense that, I mean, I've been told that they've gotten to a point of exchanging names in some cases, um, and it seems like the Padres had some interest. Uh, You look at teams like the Brewers and Pirates and Cardinals, and this part is speculative, but on paper it makes sense that those would be the types of teams that would have some interest in Manoa. You know, I, I think if you're the Jays, though, there's real value here. He's been a really good pitcher not that long ago, Um, so 2022 is like last year. It's not like it's so, so long ago that he can't get back to that. And have you seen the videos of him? Like the pictures of him? Mm -hmm. Like, it looks like he's in really good shape. That's a good starting point. If I'm the Jays, I'd be pretty inclined to keep him. Um, but of course, you know, teams are going to call and try to see if they can buy low and that's fair on the part of those teams, but I don't think it necessarily leads to a deal. Yeah. It's also the same thing the Jays are doing elsewhere. Right. And who knows? Maybe the, The Cardinals, they've traded with them so many times and they still somehow have like surplus players, nothing like crazy, but Nolan Gorman's, you know, kicking around there and they've got Tommy Edmond who could maybe fill that spot. Of course, they had the extra outfielders until they dealt uh, Tyler O'Neill the other day. Um, Yeah. Anyway, we've thrown a lot of names out there, a lot of different scenarios. Is there anyone we've missed? I mean, there are guys we've missed, but we we named like a third of Major League Baseball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's like a good solid like chunk of uh, of all this stuff. And, you know, I'm sure that to some extent the uh, 
this is this is what has to happen behind the scenes too within the mm-hmm. front office where it's like all right there was this full court press to get Shohei didn't work let's regroup on some of the other main priorities um and see if those guys are fits or see if they're using us you know for Instagram likes or whatever the case and uh try to fit, figure out which ones are actually going to get some traction. yeah let's make sure our shoes are shiny and uh and get yeah. out there and, and that's do right. some stuff. That's the, right. The other thing too is like in us doing a podcast like this, um, and it does probably sound similar to that, the letters when we did at the start of the offseason, you know, who we're looking at, we can crystallize it and narrow down a lot more once a move happens or two moves happen. Because right now we're trying to cover every position and every contingency. If the next time we do this, they've plugged someone into third base and left field. We know, Hey, we got to look at guys with second base utility or that fourth outfielder type. Um, we can narrow it down a little bit, but right now we just got to, we've got all the magnets on the wall, except for like Shohei, Juan Soto and Sonny Gray, except for the best ones. Yeah. Except for the best ones. That's <laughs> except for the left. ones that everyone was excited about. So yeah, look, they can still be a good team next year. They still should be. There's no excuse not to be, but it won't be as exciting. Ben Nicholson Smith. Thanks for taking the time out. Uh, keep up all the great work at, at the letters and sportsnet.ca. A lot of good stuff through the Shohei saga. Really appreciated you kind of putting the the fan base front and center in your reaction piece to that. And then obviously, um, you know, the reporting around what the Jays offer looked like, what that process was like. Uh, thanks for coming in, buddy. My pleasure. Ben Nicholson Smith of sportsnet.ca of at the letters. I've been Blake Murphy. This has been a special post Shohei offseason reset edition of Jays Talk Plus. We'll talk to you, I don't know, when there are transactions to talk about. Hope you're having a nice December. Uh, Thanks for listening.